Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Wednesday, June the 17th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on June 17, 1972, President Richard Nixon. Yeah, it all began, the eventual downfall. It began with the arrest of five burglars inside the Democratic headquarters in Washington, D.C. They were in the Watergate building. We know the word Watergate well, don't we? Well, it all started today. 1972. Today in 1579, Sir Francis uh, Drake arrived in present-day Northern California. He claimed it for English sovereignty. So those of you who live in Northern California, you don't really live in the United States. Maybe you've already figured that out, that you live in a different country, but you live in um, under English sovereignty, according to Sir Francis Drake. Today in 1775, the Revolutionary War battle, Bunker Hill, it um, The British won, but it was a very costly victory for them. They had very, very heavy losses. Today in 1944, the Republic of Iceland was established. It's a republic. Today in 1953, U.S. Supreme Court William O. Douglas, I mentioned him yesterday, He's from Washington State, as many of you know. Anyway, Supreme Court Justice William Douglas he stayed the execution of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Remember them? They were spies. They were selling secrets, U.S. secrets, to Russia. Well, they were set to be executed, and William Douglas stayed the execution. That was because it was the couple's 14th wedding anniversary. So he stayed the execution for a couple of days, and they were executed on June 19. Amazing. I I wonder, I guess that was meaningful to Douglas. I wonder if it was to the Rosenbergs. Oh, great, we get to celebrate our, our wedding anniversary before we get put to death. I don't know. Today in 1963, the U.S. Supreme Court in Abington, Pennsylvania, School District versus Schlimp, they struck down 8 to 1. Rules requiring the recitation of the Lord's Prayer, requiring recitation of the Lord's Prayer or reading of biblical verses in public schools. I know to many children under 40, 1963 seems like centuries ago, but doesn't seem like that long ago to me, that school districts were actually having kids recite the Lord's Prayer or reading Bible verses in public schools. It wasn't that long ago that the Supreme Court started to take over as a dictatorial court in America, deciding what we can and cannot do in worship, deciding what Thomas Jefferson really meant when he said that they had the founders of this nation had built a wall to keep the government out of church affairs. Today, in 1967, China successfully tested its first hydrogen bomb. Today, in 1986, President Ronald Reagan announced the retirement of 
Chief Justice Warren Burger. He was succeeded by William Rehnquist. Today in 1994, after leading police on a slow-speed chase in Southern California freeways, you probably remember this, the white Bronco? Yeah, O.J. Simpson was arrested. They followed him all over California. He was on live television everywhere, including up here in the Northwest. They charged him with murder in the slayings of his ex-wife, Nicole, and her friend, boyfriend, I guess, Ronald Goldman. He was later acquitted, but he was held liable in a civil trial, as you probably recall. And today in 2009, President Barack Obama, he said, I know that same-sex couples can't really be married, but we're going to pretend that they're married, and we're going to give same-sex partners federal employees that are same-sex partners all of the benefits of really being married. It's interesting how we take the institutions of God that have stood throughout time and history, and we believe that we can, by changing the words or even signing a a bill somewhere, that we can change what God has said. That's been the folly of man since the Garden of Eden. Eve thought she could kind of revise what God really meant when he said, don't eat the fruit. Even some of us simple people out here in middle America, as they say, we can understand that. It isn't that they can't understand it, the elites, the liberals, the progressives. It's that they don't want to understand it because they want to be God. They don't want to submit to God. They want to submit to their newest idea. That's the world we live in. We've always lived in that world, but somehow it seems to be amplified today. But we saw the beginnings of it in the Garden of Eden and the conversation, as it is sometimes called. I talked a little bit yesterday about the ruling of the Supreme Court of the United States recently on sex. They announced it on Monday. In Monday's ruling, inserting gender identity into the word sex into the 1964 employment law, the U.S. Supreme Court called a man a woman. Possibly, I'm not saying it will, but possibly leading to eventually forcing everyone else to do so. That's generally what happens because the Supreme Court won't force us, but their decision will, and the activists will seize on this. They already are this morning. The legal eagles of the far left, are already all over this. They're looking at it. They're figuring out ways to agitate using the words specifically of Neil Gorsuch. This ruling, as I said the other day, will lead to a tsunami of polarizing court cases. It's going to degrade and undermine America's natural rights to free speech, to free association, to worshiping God as our conscience require that we do. This touches every part of our life. It's the most insane thing I've seen the the Supreme Court do in recent years, and I've seen a lot because I pay attention to it. All of this is done in the name of equality, a word that has become a, a, a totalitarian weapon, not a virtue. This decision is a di- disgrace to the very bedrock, this, the, the whole principles of not only the United States but of Western civilization. 
Our nation was built upon them, the voters who vote for them, to these men's honor who try to uphold them, and some do. President Trump ran on this promising America. I will, I will, I will appoint constitutional conservative just, justices. I believe with all my heart that he thought he was. So did the Heritage Foundation and other well-known, well-respected Christian organizations who vetted this guy. I don't care what he does to make this up. He was dead wrong, and I believe that he will stand He will stand in the court of, of, of judgment, as far as the public is concerned, for the rest of his life. But he doesn't care. Because when we put these people on the court, they're there for life. You can't get an initiative and reverse their decisions. They are autonomous in the truest sense in our culture. Gorgeous. He gave everybody that voted for him the finger. He did. The court's newfound weakness, it's going to be exploited. These people are out there. They're doing it now as I speak. They're figuring out how to now exploit this to advance their bizarre agenda of transgenderism and having 67 different personal pronouns and all of this junk. It's crazy. But he just said, go for it. He opened the gate. There's only one word for what the court has done here. And Justice Alito called it out in what he wrote. He said, you have legislated today. You haven't ruled He was angry. He was beside himself. Justice Clarence Thomas was pretty agitated as well, and they should be. But Justice Alito said, this isn't a ruling. It's a legislation. You're making law. Justice Clarence Thomas, I was reading what he wrote. He wrote a a lot. I I don't have time to go through it today, of course, but he said... This is a more brazen abuse of our authority to interpret statuses, statutes. And he said, it's hard to recall such a thing. It's amazing what they've done and what he's done. <coughs> Excuse me. CNN wrote an article. They're glowing. CNN said, and I've got it here. Let, let me just share a bit of it with you. CNN wrote this yesterday. They said, Justice Neil Gorsuch. President Donald Trump's first nominee to the Supreme Court delivered an opinion Monday that will change how more than 7 million LGBTQ individuals will work, live and work in the United States. It will, but they go on. CNN, they're celebrating. They said, it is a watershed moment for an unlikely author that means gay, lesbian, and transgender workers are protected. It's a stunning defeat for judicial conservatives who work to ensure Gorsuch's nomination and Republicans, including Donald Trump, who stymied President Barack Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court liberal Merrick Garland in 2016. CNN says the ruling puts Gorsuch in the history books. And it does. Maybe that's his motive. I don't know. I just thought he was a true blue conservative who loved the Constitution of the United States. He clearly does not. I don't care how intellectual he is. He just doesn't. Close observers of his writings and actions on the bench, Korshap simply was showcasing his fidelity, CNN says, to the rules of statutory interpretation. But others 
Others on the court have a different opinion. They say these guys get along in their personal, private, and kind of social lives. Then they probably do. It's kind of a fraternity. I mean, if when you're in, you're in. You can't do anything except die, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure you could be removed, but it would have to be pretty blatant. But other than dying, you're in, you're on. You can make all kinds of cockamamie rulings. Ruth Bader Ginsburg does it all the time. But who would have ever thought that Neil Gorsuch would do such a thing? It's horrible. The left is just beside that. They can't find the words to express their joy in what this is going to amount to. This is going to come down. It's going to come down to where it's going to impact public schools. There's going to be legal battles that are going to go on for years and years. This decision cements public school status as social enforcers and kind of like subsidizers of the far-left politics. There can be no political legal defense against a teacher switching genders now right in front of the kids. They show up and say, hi, I'm Teacher Mary. Tomorrow they show up and, hi, I'm Teacher Jack. What are these kids to think? What are we doing to our children? They don't care. And now Gorsuch has jumped in the bus with these people. He's got to be smarter than that. There's no defense now for a teacher switching genders in front of his kids, putting boys in girls' locker rooms, sports, teaching preschoolers that Heather can have two or three mommies. Queer theory is being taught now in our schools. Now it's raining in U.S. employment law. It means that it must also dominate all the institutions of higher education. Unless they're religious. But public and private are going to be vulnerable to this. Religious schools, homeschool, now is becoming more and more a potential safe haven in my mind. And yet some of the religious schools are forsaking the very beliefs on which they were built and on which good, well-intentioned Christians built those schools, like Seattle Pacific University and others. It, it bothers me a lot, as you can probably notice, but we're talking about not only now, but we're talking about the next generation. We're talking about our children and our grandchildren. They're going to pay the price for this. They're going to go to school. Kids are going to be indoctrinated, and you say, oh, Gary, I, I mean, are you sure? I'm absolutely sure. Kids are going to be indoctrinated to believe that it's awesome to have their penis cut off or their breast cut off. I talked about the story that, that Tony Perkins published yesterday. Uh, it, was, it was heartbreaking, and I included it in what I published yesterday, so you, you could read it if you wanted to. It was heartbreaking, but it was very informative. It was well done. Tony Perkins is a good guy. He's a pastor. He's a father, and I think he's a grandfather. I don't know, but he's a good guy. But he wrote this, and it, it is heartbreaking how this girl is, is, is now saying, I, I, I was drawn into this, and I, I had my breast removed, and I took all of these blockers and, and all of this stuff, and now I, my life is ruined, and nobody cares. That's where we're headed. And these kinds of decisions are taking us there. So if you're a Christian and you, you're saying to your friends and your family, you know, I just don't think Christians should be involved in politics. Please don't send me that note in the mail, today at least.
wait till tomorrow. Boy, this bothers me. Righteously. It isn't personal. I've got to believe that God is going to address some of these issues in individuals' lives. To whom much is given, much is required. We seem to be destroying everything that's good, or trying to, and trying to embrace and elevate everything that's evil and destructive. And if I thought we knew what we were doing, some of these people at least, it would at least make some sense, but I, I wonder sometimes if they even have a clue or care. We've been destroying statues and monuments. That's escalated to the point where ordinary folks now speak about it in hushed tones. Out of fear, white radicals and black radicals are running the streets of our cities, beheading statues, <laughs> completely toppling them. One guy had a concussion because they pulled down a statue and it fell on him the other day. They're doing it because they say the monuments and the statues don't feel right to them. Christopher Columbus has been in the crosshairs for a long time, but did you know now that there's a petition in Boston to remove Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, the blacks have come up with a petition to remove Abraham Lincoln. I didn't believe that when I first saw it. I thought, no, there's something more to this story than that. But no, there is. I mean, that's it. There's calls to take down this statue of Abraham Lincoln in Boston Square Park, and they're growing. Why would they want Lincoln, the great emancipator, removed? Most of us understand why the angry actor, John Wilkes Booth, wanted him removed. But why would Tory Bullock, a black man that lives in Boston, want him removed? Well, Tory says, tells the media, he's getting a lot of media attention. He, he likes it a lot. You can tell. He said, it's a statue that's supposed to represent freedom, but to me, it represents submissiveness. Well, why would it do that? Well, he said, it's kind of a statue that says, know your place, because that's where you belong. What he's referring to is this statue shows Abraham Lincoln standing, and it shows a slave in just a kind of a loincloth, and he's kneeling beside Lincoln, and he still has the chains on his arms, on his hand, around his wrists. And Lincoln is kind of pointing in the distance. And he's standing there as someone that, that is to help or emancipate this slave. And this kid, I don't know how old he is. He looks like I saw pictures of him, this Tory uh, Bullock. He looks, I don't know, 30, 25, 30. He said, I used to drive by this every day. He said, or come by it with my mother or whatever. And he said, I always felt bad when I saw this. Because the slave is kneeling beside Lincoln. Does anybody know why that statue is there? Do, does anybody know why they, it was first placed there? Well, I do. I took five minutes yesterday and looked this up. It's not like it takes a great amount of intelligence to do it. Even I could do it. Yeah, I looked it up. Here's the deal on that statue. I mean, just for your information, I know most of you listening today don't live in Boston, but you live in America. The memorial statue was designed and sculpted by a man named Thomas Ball. It was erected in 1876. The funding drive, <laughs> the funding drive for the monument began, according to 
newspaper articles at the time and to the Parks Bureau, the funding drive began with a $5 donation by a former slave, Charlotte Scott of Virginia. Charlotte, at the time, was living with the family of her former master in Marietta, Marietta, Ohio. People began to hear about her $5 donation. The Western Sanitary Commission, it sounds like a garbage company, I don't know what what it was, but what they say it was is a St. Louis-based volunteer war relief agency. It's called the Western Sanitary Commission. They heard about it, so they got all of their members involved who were former slaves, and they began to raise money. And all of these former slaves got enthused about it. You know how things catch on and say, man, this is a great idea. I'm going to put five bucks into this or whatever. And they raised $20,000, and the people kept giving. They ended up setting the goal higher, and they ended up with $50,000 a long time ago. According to the National Park Service, the monument was paid for solely, 100%, by former slaves. Now, about the sculptor, Thomas Ball. He was one of the best-known, most celebrated sculptors in America at the time. He was also a very accomplished musician, a painter, and he was a white guy, but he was commissioned by former slaves who wanted the best representation of what they had just experienced expressed in a way that they could explain the joy and the gratitude that they were experiencing from the great emancipation they had just experienced. It's kind of like when you get saved. You just want to tell somebody the Lord is good. I mean, that's how they felt. And they they hired Ball to sculpt this statue. There's conflicting claims that this statue was really a replica of Freed, Freedman's Memorial in D.C. and was donated to Boston in 1879. But the people in Boston, I talked to them yesterday, people in Boston, they say, no, 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 no. No, there's all kinds of newspaper articles and everything about this. That's how it happened. The slaves gave their money. Ball created it, and it has been copied. But back to Mr. Bullock, who doesn't feel good about the statue when he drives by. He now has 7,000 signers on his petition. I would dare say they're probably not all black. I would dare say, I don't know this. I didn't see the petition, but I would bet that a lot of them are just wide-eyed people who want to feel good about themselves and do something meaningful. And if Lincoln's bad, let's get rid of him. They're uninformed. They don't even know what they're doing. WCVB Channel 5, it's the ABC affiliate in Boston, they're reporting that the Boston mayor, this Marty Walsh, is willing to talk with Mr. Bullock about removing the statue. Walsh's office told the TV reporters that the mayor is, quote, interested in recommissioning the statue into one that recognizes equality. But the people that were emancipated feel like this did represent equality. That's why they commissioned it with their $5 donations to have it sculpted and placed. They look it in the face, they wash their hands, and they tell themselves, if we tear down one more statue, one more monument, everything will be better. Pilate didn't know the truth. Just minutes before he was to have Jesus Christ crucified, he looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? He didn't even know the truth when he looked it right in the face. 
Jesus is the truth, the way, the life. And this is a parallel of what these people are doing. They're looking at something that the slaves who had worked the fields and now were free, they wanted built because that's how they felt. And now, no, 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 that's not right. That isn't how we're supposed to be, us 30-year-old blacks of 2020. Where does it end? Slavery was and is a moral blight on our country, no question about it. But what place in history should the former slaves who gave their money to build a memorial to the profound gratitude for a man who gave everything, including his own life, to emancipate them? Should that have no place in our history? Should the statue or the story be repurposed and recommissioned, as the mayor is now suggesting, that they melt it down and make something more meaningful? Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State of the Bush 43 administration, she's argued time and time again against removing any historical statue. She's a black woman. She says, she says to her, the key is to keep your history before you. When you start wiping out your history, sanitizing your history to make you feel better, it's a bad thing. This is a matter of the heart. It's not about the color of the skin. It's about ignorance. It's about a heart that's rebellious. Tearing apart our history, seeking to marginalize the greatness of our founding fathers because they had human failures. Well, the people accusing have human failures as well. I've never been a slave owner. I've never been owned by another man or person, nor has anyone in my family. But I know there was a great price paid for abolition and emancipation. There's a well-worn Bible on a desk in our home. And I'm told that it was carried through the Civil War by one of my relatives who believed Abraham Lincoln and believed what he believed. And as I and my family believe every day, the Bible was sent home when my family member died during the Civil War. Regardless of the color of our skin, all of us are born into a form of slavery. The bondage of sin, we can deny it. We does tear it up. We doesn't go away. We can hope it gets better, but it doesn't. We can fight it. We can never win. No matter how angry or how much we deny, strive, weep, or destroy, shout or demand, march, burn, it takes someone who believes in our freedom and sees our worth and pays the price to truly emancipate us. There is a parallel here. Pilate looked at Jesus. What is truth? We, too, are looking. We're looking truth in the face. White rioters, black rioters, of all skin colors, pillage, burn, demand, deny. We, too, can attempt to repurpose, revise, or recommission the image of God. We can call ourselves a woman when we're a man, but that doesn't make it true. We're drowning in idiocy because we can't even recognize the truth when we see it. There's something each of us are going to have to deal with now or later, and I'll leave you with this. Think about it. And I'll be back tomorrow, but think about this. Are we going to take a knee now, or are we going to take a knee later? The Bible is very clear when it says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can either accept him and submit to Jesus Christ and the truth now, or we will, in a forced way, do so later. It's up to us. Kneeling before Christ now is the true path to reconciliation now and for eternity. Well, other than that, I have no opinion. No, I, I say that. People write and laugh about it. But 
I feel very strongly about this. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. See you tomorrow.